Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. Today, we are talking to Dr. Cheryl Ann Schmidt, who is an eighth grade English language arts teacher in New Jersey. She also teaches research methods and capstone writing in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Pennsylvania. Cheryl Ann shares how she has been navigating teaching since the beginning of the COVID crisis. And she gives us something to think about in terms of increasing engagement through promoting student agency and voice. And you know what? She gives us some permission to share our failures. But before we get started, I am so excited to plan season two of Design Lessons. Help me shape it just for you. Take 10 seconds to take a two-question survey, sharing your number one challenges with teaching right now. And as a thank you for listening to the podcast and for taking the survey, you will be entered into a giveaway for a Starbucks gift card. And now, let's meet Cheryl Ann. Cheryl Lance, welcome to Design Lessons. I'm so glad that you're here. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Michelle. It's so great to be here. So um, I have been teaching for middle school, um, mostly eighth grade, but a smattering of seventh grade here and there um, for the last 28 years. Uh, I teach in New Jersey. I teach ELA. Um, I've taught in both urban and suburban districts in the state. Uh, I went through a very traditional teacher ed program at one of our um, state colleges that was and, and still is very much known for its teacher ed program. Um, that's how it got started, you know, uh, 150 years ago or whatever. It was a normal school. Yeah. Um, so it turns out a lot of us and I, a lot of my colleagues are mm-hmm. alum as well. And um, I actually, what was really interesting with my journey to college, uh, neither of my parents went to, to college. Um, and, you know, I kind of had that idea they were all for me going to college at all. I mean, from when I was very little, their idea was like, yes, you will go to college. But it was also that mindset of like, you need to come out being able to do something. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't so much into like nursing and math was not my strong suit. So accounting was out. And, um, you know, I, I really wanted to study English. So I was like, oh, well, and I like kids. I had worked at, um, in the children's room at my public library and I babysat for tons of years all through middle school and high school. I'm like, oh, okay. I, you know, like I could be a teacher. I could do this. Um, and then of course, you know, you, you, you get your first practicum in the classroom and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Um, real, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's no longer all textbooks and um, and just like oh, I'm going to read this book and these kids are instantly going to fall in love with it. It just you know it doesn't happen. Um, but I was part of a program that um, Governor Kane 
implemented in the 80s. He did a lot for public education in New Jersey and and not to be um, overly political, but he really, he was somebody who was about bringing a living wage to our public school teachers. Um, He was all about investing in our public schools and he had a program that was called the Governor's Teacher Scholars. And I actually ended up with a full scholarship to college for four years, room board, books, everything. And all I had to do was teach in New Jersey for anywhere between either four years if I went with really a really, really rural community or an urban community, or six years if I went suburban. Um, And then when I came out, of course, no one needed teachers. <laughs> we were in a, another recession, and nobody nobody was retiring. And um, they had changed all the certification. It was a really, really bad time to come out of college. So I feel for everybody who's graduating right now. This year clearly is different for everyone. Um, and I'm sort of curious how you've gone about, well, sort of what situation, like how are you teaching um, in terms of like, what does the model look like in your district? So we've had um, two different, well, really three different models since last March. Um, You know, I think like everyone, we left school on, and I remember this, it was a very dear friend's birthday, and it happened to be Friday the 13th. So we left school on Friday the 13th, and that was it. Um, We didn't reenter school again until October 5th. So... It was a little crazy. Um, We really, like, like so many schools were kind of crisis teaching. I hate that term. I think we did a really good job. I work with amazing people, and we literally turned it around in a day. So our um, superintendent had a day off for the students on that Monday, which I think was the 16th of March. Mm-hmm. And it was a professional emergency professional development day for faculty. And we literally um, finalized all of our plans to get ready to go on Zoom that Tuesday. Had never taught on Zoom before. Had never done any remote teaching before. We were just heading off onto Zoom. And um, our requirements were that we had to have office hours every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had an hour that we were, we were required to have, be on Zoom that kids could pop in whenever they needed to ask questions, et cetera. And then all of our lessons were asynchronous. So even though we were one-to-one, um, our students all had Chromebooks and, and it, it wasn't mm-hmm. a matter of sharing, having to share devices with family members and things like that. I think we weren't sure as a community, you know, access to internet, things yeah. like that, um, access to quiet spaces in the home. And I don't think any of us expected to be home as long as we were home, quite honestly. Right. I think people were, at, when we all left in March, I think people were mostly thinking, oh, we'll be gone for a couple of weeks. And then a couple of weeks turned into a month, which then turned into the rest of the school year. Exactly. Um, which is a is, which is a large change. I mean, online learning has been around clearly for for decades, honestly. However, that's not the the mode and the model that uh, most of us were were trained in. Right. Um, and so I think to go, like you said, from a Friday. I think you and I might have gone out on the same day from a Friday 
to coming back and starting with schools, a teaching school in a different way that following, uh, for me, it was the following, I think, Wednesday with kids and Tuesday to get a little bit of um, understanding of the situation. And I, and I think that situation mirrored across the country. Right. Um, I think that, I think in general, teachers did a good job of, of, like you said, pinning, turning on a, on a pin, um, and, and adapting in a very short period of time. And then districts have had the challenge of over the summer, you know, coming up with plans, not really trying to really meet, um, meet a moving target, not knowing sort of how, this crisis was going is evolving and right. still evolving and right. how to, how to meet that. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things like I was just playing with, with tools. I mean, we had the whole Google suite, but it was like, okay, how, how am I really meeting my students needs? Um, I was missing them. They were missing each other. Um, you know, I was having students email me saying I, I need, you know, they're used to me book talking every day and, you know, yeah. conferring. And we, I'm in a balance, balanced literacy program. So it's nothing for me to like pull up next to a student and have a deep in depth conversation about, you know, their reading, their writing or both. And all of a sudden that was gone. So, um, I did a lot of polling the students, you know, how is this working for you? How is that working for you? Trying different tools, not inundating them with new things all at once, but trying one new platform letting them get used to it and then asking them like, how's this working for you? And what we ultimately found was that Pear Deck, they liked Pear Deck the best Um, at that point in time. because I was obviously able to put all my Google slides together. I was able to put in video clips. I was able to um, put in passages of text, all everything in one spot. So they didn't find it really cumbersome. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to record any of my mini lessons and speak to them. And, and it was interesting because the students would say to me, you know, in my Google surveys, you know, how's everything going? They would say, I really like Pear Deck because I can rewind and hear you explain whatever I was missing and I can pause it. And I, I, you know, they felt that connection, I guess, even the, you know, the disembodied voice, you know, even if I wasn't there with them, there was more of me with them, Mm -hmm. um, auditorily versus just reading. Um, Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to point out a couple of things that I sort of noticed that you said that were interesting. And I think sort of strategies that people can apply and it's, it's something I think that we all know, but, you know, sometimes hearing it underlined, one thing that you did was you asked students, how's this going for you? You know, um, sort of making them part of that conversation of, okay, we're all trying out something new. Um, you know, how is this going for you? I know for me, we just, we use Google Meets and the breakout rooms finally are now in and happening. And so we tried them this past week and, um, you know, and I had them working in small groups and being able to talk to each other. Um, and when we got back, I'm like, all right, so how's this going for you? And I think that that's kind of a key thing is, you know, since we, are sort of building this with students and we're building community with Mm -hmm. them, asking them how it's going for them makes such a difference in, I think their ownership even of, of what you're doing and and the conversations that we're, that we're having. Exactly. Um, you know, my, um, doctoral dissertation, uh, the work I did, I was in the, uh, reading, writing and literacy program at UPenn Mm -hmm. and I did my dissertation looking at 
in its in its simplest form, it was looking at um, multi-genre writing and how that influences students' identities as writers, as learners. Mm. But what I really found as I was looking at this year's worth of data was that there's so much about agency that yeah. I found myself building into the classroom and that just really became a focal point of what I started doing in my teaching moving forward after I, you know, analyzed what was happening after that, really that practitioner inquiry after I was analyzing my, my teaching and writing up the dissertation, it really became how am I giving students not just choice, but how am I honoring their voice in my classroom Mm. and letting them know that they, they're valued in that space and, you know, really, asking them and then saying, hey, I heard you found Pear Deck to be really helpful. Let me give you more of that. Mm -hmm. I I heard you didn't like this. So guess what? We're not going to do that anymore. Like I I get where you're coming from. It's, It's annoying and cumbersome. Oh, you guys are split with how you feel about you know, whatever this other platform is, hey, guess what? You're going to have a choice. You can do a, you know, they didn't really like Flipgrid too much. Some of them mm-hmm. did, some of them didn't. Okay, well, guess what? You can do a Flipgrid for me. You can do this for me, or you can do that for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, giving them a, a choice of what their product was in a time that was really stressful for all of us, I think helped everybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that the idea of maybe using choice boards, um, but I like what you said about voice, because I think uh, often we say that phrase, choice and voice. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us definitely give choice. We're like, oh, you've got these three possibilities. Choose the one, you know, the modality that is best for you. But I think when we talk about voice, a lot of times we miss um, truly hearing a student's voice and really that you've given me something to think about because I, I, I really want to kind of think more about what are ways that I can make sure my students' voices are heard in the classroom. Mm. And one of them obviously is asking them how they're, how they're feeling about what we're doing. Um, and then acting on it, you know, as based on what they say. Um, but yeah, you've got me thinking about that. And I think that's something I'd love some more conversation on, you know, in general, like, so, you know, people who are listening as you're thinking about that, what are ways that you're using, giving your students voice in your classroom? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a teacher right now, that's what I feel is missing, where we're, you know, we might have a choice of how we do different things, but when we're expressing a need, um, we're not always being heard. And I find myself gravitating towards those people who are let who are hearing me you know I I'm they may not have an answer for me every time or I may not get my way every time but when I feel heard those are the people that I'm I'm not only willing to really like really willing to work with and and want to work with but those are also uh, when it comes to leadership that I'm I will follow you anywhere if I feel heard and validated I'll follow follow you right into the fire, you know, whatever you want, because I know I matter. Yes. Yes. Like it's back to the, you matter. That yeah, message. yeah, absolutely. Right? It right. comes from the call. It all comes down to you matter. Matter. Exactly. Um, 
And then, you know, that was the spring. So that was like this very asynchronous weird thing in the spring. Mm-hmm. And then we started this school year all 100% remote, but mm. we were expected to do synchronous teaching oh. remotely, which we all felt better about. Uh-huh. Um, and I spent a lot of time this summer figuring out how to do that. Um, and again, what, you know, figuring out what tools were going to work for students and, and things like that. You were going to ask a question? Yeah, I was going to ask you because I think people are curious, or and I'm curious, <laughs> satisfy my curiosity. So what does a typical period or block sort of look like? So if you're doing synchronous um, teaching, and I assume you're teaching first block, then second block, and mm-hmm. third and fourth. Um, how do you block out your time um, for your kids? And how does it, you know, because you're, you're teaching, um, as you said, a balanced literacy. How does it work? Just sure. Um, so, and it doesn't, what, hap- what has happened in the last five weeks or so in school is now we're, we're face-to-face with students, but we also have some students who are remote. So mm-hmm. my teaching has changed slightly this school year, but it's all, it's all pretty much the same, whether I'm remote with my students or whether I'm face-to-face with my students. We have them, we're on a half-day schedule with them, so we only have them for an hour. A normal block is 83 minutes. Okay. So... I don't feel that I get as much time for conferencing with my students, but I do believe in making sure we're reading and writing every day. So mm-hmm. my first, our first unit with our students is an exploration of character. Mm-hmm. So they're doing the bulk of their day. We're looking at reading strategies and we're looking at literature and, and their reading. So I start the block with an opening writing activity every day. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we were 100% remote, that meant that my OWA was just on a Google slide and it was, I mean, it it literally could be anything and it's, uh, it's our chance for notebooking really is what it boils down to. Um, and it was any type of prompt. It was a quote. It could be a picture. It could be this week we're working on quatrains. Um, and, and I would give them just a word to kind of spark whatever they wanted their quatrain to be about. So today's word was community. Mm. Um, and they write for about 10 minutes or so, and then they have the option to share their writing. They can share all or part or their process. Like if it's something new, like working on quatrains feels really Mm. uncomfortable for them because it's new. Um, and you know, we all have those voices that tell us our writing isn't very good. (laughs) So I've, I've told them, you know, you can share your process. Let's talk about what we do as writers. You don't have to share what you've written, but you can share your process. So we do have a little bit of celebration. So that's usually the first 15 minutes or so of class by the time we write and we share. And, um, now, because we are face-to-face and the students remain in their pod all day, mm-hmm. the teachers move from room to room. So I have those same slides just already set up in Google Classroom so they can just log on. I don't have to worry about having it written in, on the board in every, in every room okay. I'm in. 
Mm. So I'll say to them, you're, you're hopefully in a perfect world, their OWA is already on Google Classroom when I walk into the room, but sometimes it doesn't always happen. But and your, your OWA is your, the, the prompt or the, right. the invitation to writing that you're exactly. giving. Exactly. It's our opening okay. writing activity. And I, I stole that idea from um, Jen Lafine in TeachWrite. I think she did that with, I took a course with her. Maybe three summers ago, and we started that way. And I just kind of grabbed that idea and have been doing that in my classroom um, for a couple of years. And what I found is that even when we went, when last year, especially, I had students say to me, you know, when we pivoted and when we went home, they would say to me, you know, Dr. Schmidt, can I? Can, can you put some, some OWA prompts up on, on Google? Like I, I need to write, I want to write. That's and I, I found students were using their notebooks as a way to kind of get themselves through the pandemic and, and the isolation for some of them. Yeah. So, um, so we, we start because we're reading right now, we start with writing. If, our next unit is going to be lit analysis. So we'll start with reading. We'll do some independent reading and then the bulk of the block will be writing. So I just kind of flip it that way, but I do want them, you know, just like I wouldn't want my students not reading because we, we know what happened when we don't read. Uh, I feel the same way about their writing. You know, when we don't write, we lose um, some of our technique. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-uh. I was, I was thinking about the, the whole reading piece. Um, my second language is, is German and, um, my book club was reading, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of the name of the, it's Thunderhead, but the Scythe, Scythe oh, by yeah. Neil Schusterman. And, um, this is an adult book club. And so the only version that was available to me from the library was in German. It was the audio book. And, um, another person who's in my book club is an English language learner teacher. And I said to her, when I first started listening to it, and I like reading in German because it reminds me of what it feels like to be a struggling reader. Ooh. And, um, when I first started reading, I really just had to, I mean, I had to like, and I was listening cause it was an audiobook. I had to like really listen, you know, and, 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 but as I got going into the book, it became just like reading English, you know, very comfortable. And I talked to her about that. Um, and she said, that's very normal. She's like, it's, it's almost like, um, the analogy of, you know, when kids go home for the summer and they lose a little bit and then they come back in the, in September and they just have to catch up. Right. And it just helped to remind me of one, what it feels like to be a struggling reader or to, you know, yes, for reading not to be, you know, like water. And it reminded me that sometimes it takes time if you haven't been doing something for a little while to get back up to that skill level. Um, and I imagine that's true for sports as well, if, yeah. if you're kind of looking for another analogy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I never um, thought about that of, you know, it's been, yeah, I, I left high school many years ago. <laughs> and that was probably the last time I had any exposure to another language. So it's, you know, it's lost. Um, yeah, because I didn't keep it up. And I think that's, you know, that's what I don't want to happen to my students. I don't want them to lose yes. their 
their voice in their on paper. You know, that's mm-hmm. the other piece. If I'm honoring their voice in the classroom, I also want to honor their voice on paper. Um, I want them to have that creative outlet. I don't want every piece of writing they do to be something that's graded. Yes. Uh, because I think that's really, I think that's tough. I think that's when we start to lose our, the magic and the joy of writing. If every time we put pen to paper, somebody's judging us. Um, and then, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, um, so you were talking about your schedule and you were saying how you began, you you begin your classes with, um, and basically an invitation to write or to read, depending on which type of unit you're in. Then I assume you have some sort of mini lesson and then independent practice um, for them. And I was curious about different ways, um, that you're sort of holding that community together for your students. How are you building community for your students? That's, that's been something that's been really tough. Um, I started in, I think starting remotely helped to build some community because student, I found my students, um, if they were too shy or not comfortable, some of them aren't shy. They're just not, you know, they don't know their peers, so they don't want to take that risk. Yes. And I don't blame them. Um, I would say to them, you can, you know, I want you to share, you know, if we were sharing out, I might say, choose a line. You're going to have to share one thing that you've written today um, in chat. So choose, choose your line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would say, you can share it with just me or, you know, my oh, co-teacher yeah. or you can share it with the whole class. Like I was giving them that permission of who they wanted to share with. And then I found I wasn't reading, obviously wasn't reading verbatim what was being shared with me or their names, but I would say, oh, I'm seeing a lot of students writing about, you know, the leaves changing, or I'm seeing a lot of students writing about, you know, being excited for Halloween or whatever it happens to be. And I think it validates for the students that idea that they're not alone, that other people are having those same ideas. And the last thing you want to do as a middle schooler is be the one student who's standing out alone, not fitting in anywhere, right? I think that's so hard about middle school is that you sometimes feel like you don't fit in and Mm -hmm. and that need to fit in. Um, So that's, you know, one of the things. And I always share my writing as well. I share my my struggles, but I always share at the end. So I wait for them Mm -hmm. and then I'll share and I'll even hold up my notebook you know, the other day we were working on quatrains and I was really struggling with it and my notebook was a mess and I had a really terrible rhyme and I left the rhyme there on purpose to say like, I know this isn't great, but, and you know, some of the kids were groaning about it. I'm like, I know <laughs> it's bad. Like I, I rhymed belonging and wronging together and the kids were like, oh, and I'm like, I know it, it needs work and I'm going to go back and work on it later. But that's what I came up with for right now. And yeah. They need to realize that things aren't perfect off the bat. And I think when I take a risk or I show that I can be vulnerable, Mm. it helps them as well. Yes. So that's, that kind of became my go-to for starting to build community in this space that we're in right now, because even though we're back at school, you know, we are, our desks are all six feet apart. We're in yeah. rows. I can't pull up next to them. 
Um, can't bring them together for a huddle or anything. Yeah. Right. We can't sit in a circle and talk. Like there's yeah. just things we aren't doing right now. Um, so my normal space doesn't look very normal. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, looking at those practices that I've used in the past for building community, the one thing that I can still can continue to do is, is show my own vulnerability, make transparent choices I'm making. Yeah. Um, I do. I did borrow this year from Michelle Hasseltine's uh, You Matter and I do write a message on my website. I redesigned my website for school this year. And I have all of my book talks that I do on my website. I book talk something every day for the students. So book talks are on the website as a way for them to remember what I've, what I've shared. Um, I've created a, an online writing gallery, which is closed to everybody else. They have to have the school account and password to get into that site you know it's all google protected yeah so at least it's keeping them safe but then everybody on the team can see it um i have the you matter messages that i write every day and and i don't know who's reading them or who's not reading them and i found that honestly it's really been a great way for me to start my day yeah Um, start start with the positivity yeah exactly or even when i'm struggling like it's been really gray and rainy here and you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I know it's really hard. This weather's really hard to get up and, you know, be motivated. And this is something I'm trying or here are questions that are running through my head or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then I'll kind of give them a little bit of a, you know, Hey, as you go through your day, think about, you know, Mm. X. Um, so I have that. I have I redesigned the parent page as well because I think it's really important that partnership between yes. parents and and teachers because that really benefits the child. So mm. I've I've set up some things on parent page as well, um, different videos and things that might help them with especially um, because their their children are home from school mm-hmm. or for a week at a time, like every other week, they're home on, you know, remote. I want parents to have tools to help them. What kinds of things do you put, put out there for your parents? Cause that, that really can help the, like you said, that parent, teacher, student, that whole community piece. Um, what kinds of things do you put on that parent page? Um, so I've, I've linked to the County library for the parents as well, just to let them know our County library has really great programming, as well. Mm. So I wanted them to be aware, you know, there's, there's other than, you know, books, there's other stuff happening here, um, for, for your children. I have a, a little blurb of like, this is what I'm reading right now. And it's not so much, you know, the YA stuff that I'm reading for my classroom, which I'm reading all the time, but you know, what adult fiction am I reading as a way for them to kind of maybe connect with me. Um, I obviously all of my contact information, et cetera, but I also have videos about Google classroom because that was like the first thing that they were really struggling to navigate. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that, you know, how, if you want the summary from the parent, um, guardian summary from Google, how do you sign up for that? So Mm. just different little videos as I start to see things that I'm like, oh, as a parent, this might be helpful. I'll just like pop it up on the, on the parent page as just a resource for them. 
Um, yeah, I think that is such a key piece of the puzzle is that I know that, um, you know, for teachers, I think we're adapting. I think things are new, right? Right. And sometimes we're going to be frustrated with things. And as I said in another episode, just be solution-minded and find the solution. Um, But I think we also have to recognize for parents, this is really new. Mm -hmm. And I think all we can do to communicate with parents um, is a help to them. Um, I send out an email every Monday Mm -hmm. um, that talks about, you know, what we're learning this week and, you know, what are the key assignments and so forth. And usually I do um, a video to go along with it. And I think the, the response that I've had from parents is, and because I'm teaching virtually, 100% virtually, is that it's helping them help their kids be organized and do and do their work. I mean, my intention and my initial intention is to help the students be organized, but I think they're saying, Oh, I'm adapting that schedule that you've given to them and using that for their other, you know, subject areas as well. Right. And that's, you know, one of the things that we've done as, as a team, because I am, uh, our school is set up as, as teams, Yes. Sometimes it's how, you know, they, they're called houses or whatever. So mm-hmm. we have our core subject areas together. And on our team webpage, we have the weekly recap where we do exactly mm-hmm. that. We encourage parents to, we tell them by three o'clock on Friday, it'll be updated. It's everything that we've done that week, where we're headed the following week. And mm-hmm. then any important news that they need to know always starts at at the top. It's, it's almost like, you know, in elementary school where the notes would go home in the folders and kids folders and their backpacks, we've kind of turned, gone back to that because, you know, it's not something we, we typically do in middle school, but it's a new space. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I think it's kind of a, a, yeah, there's certain things that could have, have come out of this, um, always when there's disruption, there are going to be parts that come out of it that are really helpful for, you know, the whole system and, and the whole educational system, I guess, is where I'm, where I'm going with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this heightened, um, parent communication, which I think is probably where we've all wanted to be, but I think situations have made it a necessity. Right. And, um, you know, and it's hard. I understand, you know, we, we look at, I think too, I've talked to my students about changing the way we frame things, right. Which really comes down to changing our mindset of, you know, instead of parents are so worried, especially last year, they were understandably upset because we were upset as well. We were, we were sad for the students, the things they were missing Mm -hmm. out on at the end of eighth grade. There's a lot of a lot oh, yeah. of things that happen for our eighth graders as they leave us to go to high school. And they, they were missing that. And we felt it. And I know their parents felt it. And instead of focusing on, oh, you didn't get this and you didn't get that, you know, that kind of deficit, it's, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's look at what we do have, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, I find even my You Matter messages um, this year have been a lot about how are we framing things you know, mm-hmm. I, I was listening to, and I don't remember what podcast it was. I, I, I wish I could, rem- I, I wish I could remember the podcast that I was listening to the other day on the way to school. And mm-hmm. it was either about knitting or reading. <laughs> I can tell yeah. you the topic of it. Um, and 
it was this idea of uh, uh, the podcaster was talking about a teenager saying like, I'm not very good at this, at, you know, being home. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not good at this. I thought I would be good at this and I'm not good at this. And the Mm. response was, you don't have to be good at this. You don't have to be good at staying home. We just have to get through it. Mm. And, And it was such a shift of like, wow, because I think all of us are putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to suddenly be the perfect remote teacher when right. we've never taught remotely before. And, and while I might walk into my room after 28 years of teaching and it feels very comfortable in a normal year, this year it doesn't feel comfortable. And mm-hmm. then I immediately, my brain immediately goes to, oh, well, the, the, then I'm failing. And it's like, well, you're not failing. What are, what are we doing well? How, how, how do we know it? Wow. So it's been really wonderful, you know, having a conversation with you, hearing about your, your students and your classroom and, and how you're navigating this, a bit of a crazy world that we're, we're in right now um, with a lot of grace for sure. <laughs> if you would like to connect with Cheryl Ann, you can find her on Twitter at YA underscore reader and on Instagram at YA underscore reader 417. And you can also check out her blog of the same name. On the next episode of Design Lessons, we'll be talking to Erica Johnson, and she's going to share how she's been building relationships with students from six feet apart. If you haven't already taken the two-question survey, take a few seconds to do that now. The link is at the top of the show notes, and I am so excited to hear from you. Until next time, designers. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.